Hey guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. I think today I only want to talk about money. So it'll kind of be about boxing, but it's about money. Chiefly, where's all this money coming from that goes into boxing? So let's just take a step back and think. When you hear Eddie Hearn has a billion dollars to invest in boxing, and it might not be a billion, it might be a hundred million, I have no idea, but it's more money than we can understand for no other reason than we don't think boxing is that valuable. So if someone says Eddie Hearn has a billion to spend on boxing, you're thinking, well, I don't think there's a billion of revenue in boxing. And it's probably true. Boxing is not a billion-dollar industry. If you look at the, the WWE, the biggest wrestling company on earth, and they do, what, 200 shows a year? They do about three or four international tours weekly episodic programming, as they like to say. So they do two shows a week, every week of the year. And they generate $700 million. That's a huge conglomerate. That's a huge machine. You know, and they control all the factors of production. You know, they negotiate their compensation. They own their production. All of it. All they need to do is go to a broadcast. But now they've got their own network, which they're monetizing as well. So you look at boxing and you do these rough estimates and you say, okay, if DAZN are committing a billion in all its various forms and stipulations, PBC look like they're going to commit half a billion, you know, subject to obviously their stipulations and whether they decide to sell an interest in it. And ESPN are committing probably similar sums, if not a little smaller. And then you've got Showtime kind of on the fringes of that. At smaller amounts, but you look at that in total and you go, that's a two billion dollar market. That's three WWEs. Is boxing really three times bigger than WWE? Does it do more numbers in WrestleMania for its biggest events? Worth an investigation. So, so the question becomes, where's this money come from and why is it in boxing? And the answer to that goes back to 2008. So, if you look at 2008 before the financial crisis, the principle was. All money should be gainfully employed. So if you're Apple, if you're Toshiba, if you're Volkswagen, you normally have a bit of cash sat on your balance sheet because you've got stuff you have to pay for. And sometimes you just have a cash surplus almost for a rainy day. But up until 2008, it was generally seen as you don't need that surplus. We'll put your money in stuff that you can turn into cash quickly. So all money was gainfully employed. And it was normally in these really strange financial instruments, credit default swaps, all kinds of exotic options on grapes, on horse manure, whatever you want, all kinds of complex financial instruments. And it was quite liberal back then. You could just basically invest in anything. As long as your investment committee approved it, you were fine. So financial crisis happens in 2008. All the rules change. Markets are more regulated there's less swings, there's less volatility because regulators think that's bad, quite rightly too. So what happens is people don't want to invest in the same stuff anymore because you're not getting your 15 to 20% returns every year. So another thing that happened was companies start, started to hoard cash because they didn't trust anything. They didn't trust gold, they didn't trust precious metals, they didn't trust derivatives, they didn't trust equities. 
They didn't even trust government securities because governments were defaulting left, right and centre in those three or four years after 2008. So companies are just sitting on mountains and mountains of cash. Meanwhile, in your hedge funds and your private equity firms and all these sorts of investments, everyone's going, well, we can't go too long into equities. We can't go into fixed income. We can't. All these things are sort of closed to us because of the regulation. And mainly, you know, once the compensation got changed, people started to move out of investment banks into hedge funds. But essentially, what happens is in our economy, there's an excess of capital. People just have money that they're sat on and they're doing nothing with year after year. So the first wave of that was, let's start to buy up commercial property. And if you're a Londoner, you'll know how many skyscrapers went up between 2010 and 2014. If you live in Manchester, you'd see all the office blocks that are going up there. Leeds, you see it perfectly in Leeds. So this is for all the Brits involved. But you see the same thing in New York. I saw the same in New York. Dallas is always building. So that... You, all of this is being built. The Middle East is happening. All of this is happening because of an excess of capital. It's the same thing in the insurance market. People then go into insurance and they're saying, well, we've kind of had all the floods and hurricanes we're going to have for five years. Let's invest in insurance. No claims. We can make 20% back. And so this keeps going until the margins start to get squeezed. Then people start to invest in art. Art's now giving the margins. And look... There were even some strange investment types. So you had, you had guys going, right, we will lend you the money to buy Philip Coutinho. This is just an example. I'm not saying this is how it actually happened. I just had to pick a name. Right? We will lend you the money to buy Philip Coutinho for $11 million. When you sell him, you will pay us $11 million back. Plus, we will go 50-50 with any amount you get above that. So now you sell Coutinho for $140 million. You get $11 million. That takes you to $129 million excess. So you can make 60-something mil off that deal. You're not getting that return anywhere else. You're just not. So... Some of the capital went there. That's why the football transfer market is massively inflated compared to the growth in the TV deal. Because there's excess capital, there's external capital coming in to finance a lot of these deals, mainly in the continent, and a lot of it's to do with Brazilians because they're highly lucrative, especially the good ones. And you can afford to buy three or four, and if one comes good, subsidizes everything else. So that's one example of it. Art was another example. This whole startup culture, fintechs, digital media companies, they're all getting investment because there's excess in capital. And it says, if we back seven and two do it, we're good. You know? And so you say, what's this all got to do with boxing? So while all this is happening, Eddie Hearn finds a way to elevate boxing. Like Mayweather did it on an individual level, while Eddie Hearn did it on a corporate level. In America, Al Heyman did something similar. The whole principle of high production values, control of the factors of production and so forth, right? You build franchises. Aaron's been doing it for years. And they start to build these. And through building these franchises, right, they've got it's basically something of economic value. And now this excess capital in the market is saying, if Anthony Joshua's turning over a margin of 40 to 50%, 
which um, see this is for people who say Joshua earns hundreds of millions he doesn't there has to be a margin on this because it's external money financing a lot of this so there's he's not earning as much as you assume so once once people see that there's a margin in this business the first one was I think it was Al Heyman with PBC who brought who who basically took half a billion on an investment and maybe he underestimated how much money Mayweather would take with him when he left boxing and thought you could keep growing and the Mayweather halo effect would carry on. It didn't. But he was the first guy to try this. And what it did was it brought external money into the sport. So these, these aren't ticket receipts or anything. This is just speculative money. Speculative money saying we'd like to turn $500 million into a billion. And it hasn't quite worked because boxing doesn't work that way. Much like football, most of the money leaves the sport. Fighters, promoters, agents all take their cut because no one knows what the rules are. So it's all sufficiently opaque that you can get ripped off. So that's the first step. And then after that, you get the interesting position of the zone. We want to own all the major sports rights. We want to do this digitally. We're a startup and so forth, right? The, essentially through the perform group and they get external investment they have internal investment too but it's that same principle we're looking to the future we think this will generate a lot of big ticket deals so we're all over this and that's why if you see a lot of these cards are pay-per-view and so forth why because this is feeding external money that's come in so now the fans have to pay for that you know that's how it's good that's how they're going to make their money back off the fans off the guys listening to this so this excess of capital finds a home with PBC. It finds a home with the Perform Group, which is essentially the zone. And ESPN are probably a different case. They were probably just sat on a, on a bucket load of cash. They're owned by Disney. Disney's on a bucket load of cash traditionally anyway. So you can afford to, to shoot off $100 million and say, right, if you can grow boxing and in turn that can help expand the whole franchise and make it attractive enough that other sports want to come, and use this app, fantastic. You know, speculate to accumulate. So you've essentially got these three big war horses, all driven by external sources of capital and all looking for a big return. And what we're finding over time is boxing doesn't deliver that because it's not a lucrative sport. Apart from a few key set-piece fighters and a few key set-piece events, it's not, it isn't. It's just not that great. And that's why, if you look at zone, they have all kinds of controls over how they release the capital. And that's why Hearn hasn't been able to poach Shakur Stevenson, the Charlers, and so forth. Because he's on a relatively tight leash. Whereas zone are speculating to accumulate. So if we buy Canelo for $365 million, if we buy Golovkin for $100 million, if we then buy Usyk, if we then try and buy Lomachenko eventually. Or, and that's what they're trying to do, is accumulate the stars so they can own the ecosystems. But essentially, all of this has to pay off at some point. So how does it pay off? If you're DAZN, we all subscribe to DAZN and we pay through the nose for it. And they become the new sky. And every year, they'll put the price up by two quid, three quid, four quid. And they'll make their money back. ESPN, same thing. You're on the app, pay-per-view, UFC, all this stuff. Because ultimately, all these sports will move to pay-per-view. Boxing will just be the test case. PBC is a more interesting case where you think, well, how are you going to make your money? Normally, it's through 
advertising and so forth. But I don't think that's going to be a long-term play. If you're looking five, ten years down the line, you imagine the PVC model will have some form of subscription to it and there'll be some form of platform you'll have to download and use. And so that's where all the money that's coming to boxing has come from. And the great thing about it is none of it trickles down to the fighters you'd like to see it come to. So this doesn't trickle down to Dan Aziz. It doesn't trickle down to O'Hara Davis. It doesn't trickle down to Craig Richards. It doesn't trickle down to Dave Abraham. It doesn't trickle down to Jerome Ennis in the US. It doesn't trickle down to... Let's try to think of someone... Lolenga Mock in Belgium. It doesn't trickle down to Anthony Yigit. It doesn't trickle down to Tabisa Machunu. It doesn't trickle down to, to Sergei Kuzma. It doesn't trickle down to these guys because it stays at the top. The money is only going to stay where you can generate big ticket events. That's all investors care about. Everything else is just a sideshow and it's just there as a defensive measure to stop someone else getting access to that content. So when people say all of this money in boxing is good for boxing, if you're one of the top 10 in your division, yes, everyone else, it means nothing because everyone's looking for a return. And when that return doesn't come in about five years' time, look for boxing to crash again because they've been selling investors' dreams that you can have all these massive fights. Joshua can fight all these guys in massive fights. But boxers can get beaten. They're not racehorses. They can get beaten and beaten badly to the point where their value can drop by 90%, as you know, could happen to Joshua in, in the next case. And then, you know, well, then what do you do if you're zone? You take that capital and you buy Wilder. So essentially, it's going to turn into a massive slave market. And I know that's emotive language, but it is. People are going to be bought and sold in order to meet these investor commitments. And that's where we're at in boxing. So if, you, if you're looking for the purity of the sport, if you're looking for... Boxing to be just about the best fighting, the best is not. It's about what gets the return back for the investors. That's where Hearn's head is. It's where John Skipper's head is. It's where Al Heyman's head is. It's where Bob Arum's head is. What gets the return back for the investors? So whenever you're looking at why things happen and why they don't happen, just remember there are people out there who need to be paid back for their money. So as always, guys, useful place to wrap up there. Hopefully this was slightly interesting. But look, as always, Instagram, Twitter at Highfield Boxing. There's a Facebook page at Highfield Boxing. I normally just get people emailing me, offering me boxing gloves, which I don't need. Shouts out to Ammo for looking after me for all this time. But yeah, as I say, you know, September 27th, Royal Albert Hall. I might not be there. You know, some things have come up, so I might not be there. Don't quote me on that but I might not be there, but it's still a great card, it's still a great event. Don't let my absence deter you from going. Thanks guys, and bye.